my mother. She would not stop telling her friends about, my son is a chef, my son is a chef. Whereas, you know, it was a complete opposite when um, I wanted to become a chef. She would say, oh, are, you sh- are you sure? Are you sure? Always asking me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As we've discussed before, migration patterns have been a key factor for our culinary landscape. Australia has also welcomed many refugees who have built new lives down under. What's it like to be part of a refugee program and build a new life in Australia and become part of the vibrant hospitality sector too? Brian Cole is the chef de cuisine of Hearth Restaurant at the Ritz-Carlton in Perth. Brian, how are you? I'm well, Anthony. How are you? I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. How are things over there in Perth at the moment? I'm pretty good, actually. Um, not too crazy busy, but still enough to, um, to keep the blood boiling. <laughs> You're at Hearth Restaurant, um, part of the Ritz-Carlton. Tell us a little bit about the restaurant. Um, so, yeah, Hearth, um, Hearth's concept is all about open fire cooking. Um, we use a lot of um, smoke, char, fire, um, anything that has anything to do with fire. And we incorporate that into many of our dishes. Um, it's a very, very um, modern Australian contemporary style um, cuisine using a lot of native ingredients and um, a lot of following the seasons as well of the native um, calendar as well. So, yeah, it's, it's really nice. I enjoy, I enjoy working there. Well, it's uh, spring at the moment. What's, what's some of the native ingredients that are appearing on the menu at the moment and how are you using them? Um, yeah, so currently we've got um, some of the Kwandongs on sunrise limes um, on the menu. Um, last season we saw some, desert, some beautiful desert limes as well. Um, also, we're using a lot of bush basil and um, and some of the native macadamias as well. So yeah, those are those are currently on the menu. What's it like utilizing these ingredients? Is it something new to you, or is it something that you're quite familiar with now? Yes, um, they're quite quite new to me. Um, I never used them as much until I started working at Hearth. Um, I sort of use the common um, ingredients like wattle seeds and things like that. But working at Hearth has sort of opened up a lot more options of what um, native ingredients are available to me, yeah. Tell us um, about one or two of the dishes that you have and how the native ingredients work with the dish. Um, sure. So with the our Shark Bay cuttlefish dish, um, we've served that with some spring peas and then the broth made with all roasted vegetables and some hondashi. The native ingredient component is that we use um, red back ginger. Um, which has just a mild ginger um, flavor, but a very sort of peppery um, undertones as well. So we add that to the dish just to add a bit more of a sort of like a kick to the, to enhance the whole dish. And that's just simply seasoned with some, some marin oil as well. So That sounds amazing. I want to get into uh, what you're doing in detail a little bit further on uh, you uh, you and your family were part of a refugee program to australia T- take us back to when you were young where, where did you grow up and what was it like yeah sure um so i was born in sierra leone um for those who don't know where sierra leone is uh, it was it's in west africa it was so i explained it in the way of if you've ever seen the movie the blood diamonds that's where i'm from um, yeah, so 
growing up in Sierra Leone, I don't really remember as much as um, growing up in Ghana. Um, we left and fled from the war when I was uh, three years old um, and then moved to Guinea and then again moved to Ghana. So I don't really remember as much as when I was a, um, a kid, but sort of been told and explained to sort of things come back and you tend to um, sort of pick out a few things that happened. Yeah. What sort of role did food play? I know you um, had to move a lot. Your family had to move a lot. Is there, is there any food stories of that journey while you were moving that you could share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, sort of food is a huge part in our family, sort of brings everyone together. Um, every Sunday we use, after church, we'd all gather around, you know, all the communities gather around, everyone bringing a plate of their own for, from um, the, the different homes and we'd all sit together and sort of, you know, enjoy each other's company. Um, also just general, just a way to survive, you know, just trying to create something out of nothing was, um, quite a lot of, um, those times as well, you know, struggling in Africa, we didn't really have much. So just to make do with what we got, you know, were there any dishes, uh, that you remember from your mother or grandmother that you can share with us? Um, yeah. So my grandmother used to make this, um, tomato stew. Um, with boiled eggs, and that was always my favorite. Um, it was just very simply, sort of like a onions, garlic, just tomatoes, just cooked down for hours, and then just as it's about to be served, it just just fall through some boiled eggs, um, and then yeah, just simply serve with some white rice. That was always my favorite, and I've always enjoyed that, and I've tried many times to replicate it, but it never tastes the same as hers. <laughs> You migrated to Australia uh, in the early 2000s. Tell us about that period of time and uh, the challenges of, of, of making that happen. Um, yeah. Uh, so at the time um, we wanted to migrate, um, it was around 2000, 2000 2001. So I remember watching um, on TV the World Trade Center going down. So everything sort of, all the process that we had um, worked for to come to Australia was everything was put on a hold because of, you know, what that happening. So it took a little bit longer than we anticipated to get to Australia because everything around that, um, the flights and everything is like that was sort of just halted. Um, I personally, I didn't have any sort of knowledge of what was happening. You know, I was very young. So just asking, oh, when, when are we going? When are we going? When are we going? Um, obviously, mom's getting frustrated, telling me, you know, we just need to just be patient, just be patient, just be patient. And then to, yeah, finally in 2004, um, we finally got, you know, cleared and then came to Australia then. What, what was that like when you got to Australia? Um, it was a huge, huge shock. Um, at the time as well, I, we didn't know what Australia was. We didn't know where it was. Um, we were hoping to go to America because um, that was that's pretty much everyone's sort of dream in Africa is to go to America in the refugee program. Um, we filed and sort of requested to go to America, but obviously it's a lucky draw. Um, some of my family members went to Norway and Sweden and things like that. Again, not knowing where those places were. 
but coming to Australia was very, you know, eye-opening. Everything I've seen was through American movies. So coming to Australia was completely different, you know. Um, it was a huge flip thinking, oh, it's going to be, you know, all the um, the shiny McDonald's and on the streets, you know, seeing all of those um, movies um, with the, you know, like the African, uh, African-American movies, you know, in the streets and the ghettos and things like that, expecting sort of something similar, but we didn't get that. So living, um, when we first arrived, it was a, it was very different to what we we anticipated, but we loved it nonetheless. Um, and then over time, slowly, we just thought, "Wait, this is actually a little bit better than better than America." It's not. It's not like the movies made it out to be. Um, but yeah, we really sort of embraced the culture here, and just sort of yeah, just just started to integrate straight away and just get on with it. Basically, yeah. When did you start to become interested in in food and think of it as a potential career? Well, I, I've always sort of been interested in food. You know, helping my mom and grandma in the kitchen, um, just not really focused as a career because uh, it's not really glamorized in Africa to be a chef. Um, my mother actually wanted me to be a, a doctor, or a lawyer. Oh, and my grandfather, who's a pastor, also wanted me to be a pastor. So these were the sort of um, career paths that I thought I would have ended up in. But when I came to Australia, I was doing, I did really well in um, high school in a cookery class. And um, the principal actually sat me down and said, "You look, you're doing well in this subject. Maybe you should consider um, doing something in this, in this um, path. Um, so she helped me get a an apprenticeship. I'm sorry, a work placement at um at the casino, and sort of that led into me viewing um cooking as a career path. Sort of the different style of hospitality and the different style of cuisine, and sort of not limited by just sort of um just cooking or the home cooking that I'm used to. Um, a more commercialized um, style of cooking as well. So that's what really got me into it is just wanting to create sort of unique things myself. Um, but that sort of help, um, helps like, you know, teach me the different styles of cuisine and to view it as a, as a career path. Do you have any stories of what it was like when you first started working in commercial kitchens? Yeah, as well, it was um, at that time, so in 2008, 2009, it was very different to what it is currently. Um, starting as a, I was 16, 16 at a time. So going into the commercial kitchen at 16 where everyone is sort of, that's their career and everyone is at that age where they're just focused and just ready to work and coming in as a 16-year-old kid, um, you're still not, not sure what you're doing there, but you just know that this is what you want to do, you know, just the discipline, everyone just, you know, just doing the work because they enjoy it rather than just as a survival um, method was, was, it was beautiful to see, you know, it was nice and you could sort of just take on board all these different things that everyone was doing say, wow, I liked what he's done there. Oh, that's really nice. I like that. So it's just sort of, as a kid, 
to be shaped by the commercial um, kitchen and the and the industry was actually yeah was was really good to me because that taught me discipline. It taught me you know commitment and patience and all of that. Um, it was you know it was very hard to navigate as a kid, but it was still sort of nice to be um to be molded in that in that career. As you started to build your career, who were the really important people and what were the really important venues for you as you as you did that? Yeah, so when I did my apprenticeship, I was at the casino for seven and a half, eight years, um, working in all the different restaurants. Um, but the really the one chef that really sort of took me to that next level um, was Robert Ryan, who I worked with at the Merriwell. Um, he was an American chef. He had done many openings and then ended up opening the Merriwell. Um, but he sort of sat me down and then I spoke to me and said, if you want this as a career, there's just a few things that you're going to need to work on, you know, um, sort of break it down for me and really explained the reasons why this is working, why this is not working and how to improve. Um, yeah, he probably had the biggest impact in my life, not just as a chef, but sort of as a, you know, it's, it's weird to say, but sort of as a man, um, so he had the, yeah, he had that huge impact on me to sort of guide me into, into, um, yeah, manhood basically. Yeah. After that sort of period of time, you mentioned the casino. Um, where else have you have you worked, and um, do you have any stories of of what it was like for you? Yeah. Um, so after after the casino, I sort of moved around, um, working in in casual work in um, Subi Hotel, um, working at Coma the Treasury. I ended up uh, helping a friend open a restaurant um, in a sh- food shopping centre. Um, so we did an Italian cuisine and sort of just more traditional style Italian, um, opened a restaurant there and then took some time to study as well. Um, just sort of trying to build, um, build myself and sort of my brand. Um, and then finally getting a position in half. Tell us a little bit about creating sort of your voice on the plate. Tell us a bit about your food and how you landed on sort of, you know, your what you do. Um, yeah, so my food or my style of cuisine is just a combination of, you know, people that I admire and sort of people that I look forward to and sort of incorporate in my own, um, like, West African techniques to it. But it's still based around, you know, the French modern French um, style. Um, I know, I knew when I went to London and sort of on a holiday, ate at some some of the Michelin star restaurants, you know, trying um, Heston's restaurant for the first time. And I just knew, okay, fine dining is definitely what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. So just being there and thinking, look, what, looking at the service and all of that, it's like, wow, this is something that I would like to pursue. Um, so that sort of helped shape and direct me in that in that path, you know, having a more refined um, refined take on food, but also keeping it as um, as fun as possible as well. 
You mentioned uh, including West African techniques. Tell us a little bit about how your heritage and, and those techniques sort of weave through your food with some examples. Yeah. So a lot of West African techniques using a lot of preserves and a lot of and preserving food. Um, a lot of salt, um, salt in ingredients and things like that. Um, and also a lot of stews and sauces. So I I like to make really delicious and good sauces because I think that's sort of the fundamental of a dish is how good the sauce is. Um, and I always like to just spend a lot of time, you know, making sure that the sauce is as good as it can get and that just enhances all the dishes. So in West African cuisine, it's all about all about the sauce, um, all about, you know, the stews and things like that, slow cooking, braising, things like that. So that's the style that I tend to, um, you know, follow because it just, those kind of things just work. You know, if you have a really delicious sauce, any protein or any, any sort of seafood just sort of gets enhanced as well. Oh, I'm interested to know about, this this salting as well is there um, one that you can take us through and tell us about how how the salting works with a dish? Yeah, so in um, in Hearth we do quite a lot of curing, um, just dry curing. You know, for a couple of days, I'm um, leaving things to just sort of really dry out, and then using it sparingly on a dish just to sort of as seasonings rather than using the salt itself. So curing a lot of fish um, and then we can use that to sort of season another dish um, or any things like, you know, using dried um, meat to sort of dry it out and then to sort of shave on top of other different dishes and things like that. So that's where the really deep salting comes, using a salted item to season rather than just using the salt as well. So it just enhances the flavor and the texture of of a dish as well. Is, is there a West African uh, sauce uh, that you can tell us about that's really influential on, on what you do? Not quite, because a lot of the, my food in, um, in Sierra Leone is sort of very difficult to sort of um, replicate in a commercial kitchen. Um, to sort of do in a, in a massive production, sort of just the home-style cooking. Um, it just doesn't taste, taste the same because the quantities aren't quite right. Um, but there is a lot of sort of stews and braising that I use um, the techniques instead of the sauce itself. Um, but always my favorite has always been like a simple roasted garlic and onion um, stew, which is sort of similar to the one uh, my grandmother makes with the tomatoes. But that one, um, I've sort of used that as sort of a base for all, all, all or most of my sauces, um, just roasted garlic onions and olive oil sweat down lots of pepper and then just really really cook that down until it's nice and caramelized and then use that as sort of a base for a lot of sauces and seasonings as well so tell us a little bit about the food of sierra leone and is there is there a dish that really exemplifies the the food um yeah so in sierra leone the one dish that is on like national um sort of dish is um, cassava leaf. Um, cassava is also known as yuca, um, which is the, it's a, it's a root vegetable, but the leaves we use to cook and um, make a stew as well. So there's a really, that's sort of my favorite dish in Sierra Leone cooking. Um, 
I really, really love that dish, and I would like to sort of replicate that in a restaurant. But it's very difficult to get to get a hold of cassava leaves in um, in Australia. Um, but my mum somehow she finds it and always makes it. Um, we tend to do it in different styles with either palm oil or coconut oil. Um, sort of depending if you're cooking it with meat, you use palm oil. If you're cooking it with um, seafood or fish, you'd use coconut oil. And also um, jollof rice. So jollof rice is another, it's a tomato-based um, stew. Um, and then you add your rice into that. Um, and then you can season it with whatever items you want. Sometimes we put um, red kidney beans in there, um, black eye beans and things like that. But jollof rice and cassava leaf stews are probably the two main dishes in Sierra Leone that you sort of eat and know where you are and what you're eating as well your your food sounds fascinating with the influence of west african techniques it's a modern australian restaurant you're um, using native ingredients as well is it hard to strike a balance with all of these things going on yeah at first it was um just it sort of took some time to sort of just realize the similarities in um in native ingredients and West African um, ingredients. So sort of it just became about substituting um, ingredients instead of just adding things to it. So like um, the native yolk um, in in um, WA here, we can sort of pickle it and use it as that. And it's the same as using the cassava. So the similar similarities in the, in the ingredients have sort of helped um, meld everything together um, instead of just sort of adding anything. So just substituting a native ingredient for something that works in a West African dish or in a French cooking um, sort of just helped um, shape the dishes as well. It, it was difficult at the start, yes, but over time, sort of working with the ingredients a lot more, you tend to find out what works and what doesn't. At times, you know, you can substitute a di- uh, an ingredient, but it has a completely different um, sort of feel to the dish than if you were to substitute with something that is completely um, not similar, but get a sort of more uniform um, sort of taste to the dish rather than just substituting everything. You mentioned a little earlier uh, that, uh, your family wanted you to become a doctor or um, something not in food. What, what, how does your family feel about the success that you're having as a chef now? Oh, absolutely. Super, super proud, especially uh, my mother. She would not stop telling her friends about my son is a, <laughs> my son is a chef, my son is a chef. Whereas you know, it was a complete opposite when um, I wanted to become a chef. Um, she would sort of, say oh, are you sh- are you sure are you sure always asking me you know there's not there's not much happening in you know as a chef you know because i didn't think at that time it wasn't viewed as a career um and also in, as a as a west african kid the m- most successful sort of business people were lawyers and doctors and you know the glamorous um things that you see on the tv so that's um the path that my mother wanted me to take sort of, but 
obviously now that, you know, I sort of stuck with it and I knew that pursuing chef in was something that I wanted to do. Um, she supported me the whole way and yeah, she's very, very proud and my whole family, they're very proud of what I do and they tell everyone, you know, oh, do you know uh, Brian is a chef? And, you know, a lot of people in the African community at first were the same. Oh, okay, he's a, he's a chef. That's that's good. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, now seeing the success of what's happening, like, wow, did you know Brian is a chef? Did you know Brian is a chef? Um, yeah, it's really nice to see sort of taking chef as a career to the African community. Um, when I first became a chef, I think I only knew of two of us, um, myself and um, one of my mum's um, friends being a chef. But now there's, um, you know, there's a few more in the African community that are actually actively pursuing, you know, chefing as a career as well, you know, asking for advice and um, where to study and things like that. So it's, it's great to see to sort of direct you know, the non-glamorous chef life as a career path in the African community as well. I know you're doing amazing things there at Hearth, but you, have you thought about uh, your own venue in the future and what would that be if, if so? Oh, absolutely. Again, when I ate at, um, at Heston's restaurant, I just, I wrote down a goal of opening my own place and serving that style of food. Um, this has been... A, a goal of mine since I was 22 and that is something I think still gonna I'm gonna actively pursue um, but again the thing is opening a restaurant in the current situation will be a lot more difficult than sort of um, how to say continuing a in a company that has sort of established itself, you know, start trying to build something from start will, will be very difficult, but it's still something that I'm going to actively pursue, you know, doing a lot of um, fine dining food sort of taught me to, to want to pursue uh, opening a restaurant, but maybe not as glamorous as um, I would have liked it to be or expected to be. So if I were to open my own place or, sort of move into that direction it would be a lot more um a lot more fun casual but not like the strict fine dining um world that i would want it but yeah it's still a still a goal of mine to to one day open a restaurant of my own to sort of have your name on a place um but yeah it's a, it's still a goal of mine and i'll still continue to pursue it until until i can't you mentioned how West African techniques are very much a part of what you do. Do you feel an obligation, and certainly if you did your own restaurant, to really dive into that? Um, I don't think maybe an obligation, but really um, a sort of, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, a sort of um, like an honour, um, uh, a privilege to sort of showcase um, to the more, you know, Western world how, West African food can be refined, not your typical, um, just sort of market, casual market food, but sort of more refined West African food. I think that is something that um, the world needs, really. So to sort of establish African food as uh, one of the places or one of the one of the cuisines that can be, you know, on the top of the world and to not be overlooked, sort of things like that. You know, um, it could be the same with you know, sort of when um 
you know, me Mexican food or Asian food were not as glamorous or not glamorized um, to now being sort of a stop in a destination for, you know, people in the culinary world to visit and sort of take um, ideas and inspiration from. I think that's something that I would love to, to sort of be a part of, to be able to inspire other chefs to want to use those kind of um, techniques and food in their cooking as well. Well, you're doing amazing things over there in WA. What, what do you love about what you do? Hmm. That's a good question. I think the one thing that I love the most is the the diversity um, of cultures that we get to sort of um, interact with, um, working with people from all over the world and just sort of learning um, as much as possible from different cultures and sort of taking inspiration from everyone. Um, I think that's something that I love the most. It's just constantly interacting with, you know, and even in, with the guests, different people from all over, around the world telling you stories about where, you know, where they've been, where they've eaten at, um, where they would like to go, um, recommendations and things like that. Just, I think is probably, yeah, my favorite part about working, working in um, the restaurant and especially in half as well. So just different, different worldviews is something that um, I enjoy. Well, Brian, it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story and very much looking forward to hearing more down the track. So um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much, Anthony. It was a pleasure. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.